Once more, let us come before God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, now as we near your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, reading verses 8 to 21. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree upon which, about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken you are dust and to dust you shall return the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them And from the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 96, reading responsibly, the words will appear on the screen. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his 
Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Today among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. From the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And from the Gospels, the book of Mark chapter 13 verses 14 to 22 but when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be let the reader understand then those in Judea must flee to the mountains the one on the housetop must not go down or enter the house to take anything away the one in the field must not turn back to get a coat woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days pray that it may not be in winter For in those days there will be suffering such as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. No, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he has cut short those days. And if anyone says to you at that time, Look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. This is the word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's just the way it is. I've been struggling all week, you know, going through the bits and the pieces of the reading and the research that I've done in preparing for this sermon. I hope I've got it. I'm not quite sure I do. 
You see, the problem is that as that proverbial old proverb goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And it's an unfortunate confession that I think we as Christians have to make from time to time that we may not be as attentive to the word of God as we think we should be, as we should be. Sometimes, you know, we we encounter those readings from Scripture that we know maybe too well. The ones that perhaps we learned when we were in church school as a child, and as a result, we kind of skim over the text when we read it. We read the words of Scriptures, and as we do, we say to ourselves, oh yeah, I know that. And when we do that from time to time, the little details can slip us by. That is the blessing of being invited to look into Scripture from a different point of view, from the point of view of someone who's very different from yourselves, from ourselves. As you may have seen in the newsletter that went out a couple of weeks ago, I've been reading through uh, the writings of, the, of Dr. Wilda Gaffney, who is the professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas, Texas. And Dr. Gaffney is a black woman. And so she reads scripture through a different cultural lens than we do. I have to say that as I started this series of sermons, I thought they would be a certain type of sermon, and they've turned out to be very different than, I've been, than I expected that we would, uh, we would come across uh, this, in this season of Lent. But along the way, they've also invited me to come into a little bit deeper thought about uh, the, 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 uh, the Scripture and the examination of our shared faith. And I hope that in some small way, perhaps, they've been doing that for you as well. Sometimes we go looking for things that maybe aren't there. I was reminded of that just sitting here a second ago, thinking back to a service of worship I was sitting in, uh, let's say 20, let's say 20 plus years ago. It was, I think it was the service, or the service of worship, it was a presbytery worship service. It was the service of worship at the presbytery meeting in the, pre- in the presbytery of Kitchener-Waterloo when I was being appointed to be an interim moderator or an interim minister to one of the congregations in that presbytery. And I was sitting with representatives from the uh, congregation who were going to stand up and wax eloquently about what a wonderful minister I was going to be for them. Gosh, I like those people. Uh, but as we were sitting there, I was sitting next to a gentleman who... Uh, was not currently in ministry, but had been trained as a minister. And we were singing a hymn. It was the hymn that that is in the hymn book at 433, All Creatures of Our God and King. It's one that I'm sure everybody knows, right? All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Right? We know that hymn. Know it well, been singing it for centuries in the church. We got to the fourth verse, which goes, 
Dear Mother Earth, who day by day brings forth your blessings on our way. And my friend and colleague sitting next to me clucked his tongue and went, oh, inclusive language. Because one of the great controversies when this book came out in the late 90s was that they were moving towards a more inclusive uh, language for the description of God. I sat there for the rest of that entire meeting thinking about that hymn. Thinking, well, what were the words to that hymn before it was Dear Mother Earth to Day by Day? It bugged me all night long because I couldn't think of what the other words were. So I drove home. And I got into the house and I went to the bookshelf and pulled the old copy of the Book of Praise from 1972 out, found the hymn, looked at it, and verse 4, the words were, you guessed it, Dear Mother Earth, who day by day... It wasn't a change for inclusive language at all. It had always been there. Just that with new lenses, all of a sudden it stood out and seemed different. The hymn, by the way, is based on the poetry of St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Francis's poem has those words in it as well, as anybody who knows about St. Francis would just go, yeah, that's him. I was reminded of that, of, of that hymn and that incident as we think about how we, inter, how we interact with, with our scriptures how we look sometimes for the conclusion, thinking we know where we're going on the journey already. And as we turn to this last reading in this series of readings from Genesis this morning, we come to this encounter that Phyllis has just shared for us between God and the first humans in the garden. For those of us who were brought up in the church, it is a passage that we probably have known and referred to all of our lives as the fall. And yet this week, I've had cause to wonder if that is indeed the most accurate title for this passage of Scripture. And so it begins with this question. In this biblical passage, God curses. It's the first time we hear the word curse in, the, in, in Scripture. And we hear the word for the, that word for the first time in response to the act of temptation. God curses. Although, I'm not quite sure what that means. It would seem that cursing is the antithesis of blessing, which would be then to withdraw God's, God's favor from us. Now, we just heard the reading read from Genesis Chapter 3. My question is, in that reading, who is... Anybody want to be brave and shout it out? The serpent. That's an easy one, right? The serpent is cursed and, and uh, is told by God that he will walk along and uh, I think the King James Version says, and lick the dust of the earth from thenceforth. The serpent. What about the first woman? The one who will be called Eve. 
Is she cursed? What about the man? Is he cursed? Anything else? Receive a curse in this passage? Indeed, the the text says that twice God curses. God curses the serpent, right? The easy one. And God curses the ground. God does not curse either man or woman, although there will be consequences for their actions. He does note that there are consequences, but he does not explicitly say that that is a curse. And this is important. Important and has got me thinking all about how we have understood this passage of Scripture. Because how long has it been for us that we have supposed that the man and the woman were cursed? Especially the woman. And it has been associated, that, and that association of the woman with sin has caused all sorts of misogynistic interpretations of Scripture and women's roles in faith and the church throughout the years to be seen in a certain way. They were not worthy because they had been cursed. It leads us to the reference of this passage as the fall because it invites us to focus on the sin of the first man and the first woman. Woman. But the creation narrative, well, it's, it's so much more than just that, isn't it? The creation narrative is the story of our identity. Who is humanity? Who are we? And how, do we get, how did we get here? Pardon me. How do we relate to all of the things that are around us, to the earth, the sea, and the sky? to the living creatures that share this world with us, how do we relate to our Creator? All of those questions are part of a careful reading of the creation story. And a careful reading of this passage points us, I think, to a different understanding between the relationship of humanity and their Creator. Because, you see... Even at our worst, even when we would go out and disobey the command of God, what we hear in this text, if we really are listening, without jumping to the conclusion, is that God does not abandon us. God does not leave us alone in this text, nor does God leave us isolated. God continues to be the one who cares for and sustains humanity in the story and in our lives. Even though he says all of these things to Adam and Eve, to first man and first woman, judges them harshly because they had disobeyed his rules, God nonetheless provides clothing for them and ensures that they are cared for. God does not Abandon them. And I think we would all agree that this is good news. 
Not one of us would like to think that God has completely abandoned humanity. And more importantly, that is not what Scripture proclaims. Not here, not anywhere. Throughout the story that is contained in Genesis, God continues to be present in the life of Adam and Eve as the story moves on and with their family. Throughout the book of Genesis, there is this working out of the divine human relationship. And God is constantly seeking reconciliation with humanity. Throughout that working out of who God is, there is also the reality that life is hard. Right? God does indeed say that things will be difficult for Adam and for Eve. There is disobedience and temptation. Of that, there is no out, no doubt. There is jealousy and spite in this story in the book of Genesis. Of that, we need to read no further than the very next chapter in the book. There is hard work that must be done. There is pain in childbirth that will be part of the story of humanity. All of these things we know. And sometimes, sometimes we're tempted to wonder why. Why does all of this stuff have to happen? Why can't it always be goodness and sunshine? Why can't it always be the garden? Why can't it always be easy and good? And indeed, sometimes that's kind of how we like to think of God, right? As that lucky talisman that keeps us away from anything that is unpleasant or that is challenging. And yet we all know that sometimes it is the, through the unpleasantness and the challenges of life, the things that are hard, that we actually grow and become better people more reflective of the love of God, more compassionate to those who are around us. And that's where the radio at 7 o'clock on Friday morning comes in. To quote Bruce Hornsby in The Range, whose song came on, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. That's just the way it is. Ah, but don't you believe them. Now, the story of the song is is itself a, a song and a reflection on economic justice. You're going to have to pardon me. My, my recollection of the years 1985-86 isn't probably as good as it should be. Um, and I, I don't really remember what the economic circumstance of the country was really well. I, I, was, I was young back then, <laughs> weren't we all? Um, however, I do remember as a university student during those, those years in the middle 80s, it was really hard to find those jobs in the summertime to make enough money to go to school in the fall. I I remember that. So I'm thinking that was a 
long-standing part of what the, of, of the message of the song. That the economic circumstances were not good. And he speaks about that, of, of people who are standing uh, in line at the unemployment office or the welfare office to get their check, of people on the street and someone in a nice suit walking by and muttering at them, get a job. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. But don't believe them. We stand in this, always in, as people of faith, in this moment in time when we long for better, but we are secure in who we are. We stand in these moments where we wish the world was different. And we look to the story of Scripture and the vision that is held out for us by God who believes in justice and peace and who works for and strives for that. So it is that it is the way it always is. But don't think that it will never change. Listening just moments ago to Phyllis reading that very, very difficult passage from Matthew's Gospel, which I was more or less going to ignore this morning because it's a very, very difficult passage from Matthew's Gospel. The story about the desolating sacrilege being set up in the temple and the great calamity that will sweep the nation and people will run off and they won't look back. Those who are out in the field will not return to the city to get their things. Those who are out and have no coat won't stop long enough to pick up their coat and go forward. It's a difficult, difficult passage. But this month, I think it's just a little bit easier, isn't it? You see, what was happening in that passage the desolating sacrilege of which they speak refers back to a time when uh, in, in the intertestamental period, if you're familiar with, with the, uh, the Catholic Bible that has those books that sit in between the Old and the New Testament, in the time of the Maccabees, there's four books of the Maccabees in the Apocrypha, those different books of the Bible that we don't have. And they tell of the time when the Seleucids had taken control of the city of Jerusalem and the, and the land of God, and land of the people of God. And they had gone so far as to set up a, an idol to their God within the temple in Jerusalem, and as, which was the desolating sacrilege. And as Jesus gives this speech, he, he, he cautions his his disciples and those who are listening about about listening to these these calamities that are surely going to come De- and that he makes reference to this desolating sacrilege the complete humiliation of the people of God of the land and of and of their belief but he says but that doesn't mean necessarily the messiah comes i think in the context of what we see on the news each night from Ukraine. We have a better understanding of what desolating sacrilege looks like. 
of the utter destruction of a land and a country and a people. And you have people who move away, and yet the promise that this is not the end. I think we've all been exceedingly inspired by the uh, tenacity and the faith of the people uh, of Ukraine as they have defended their country and sought to, uh, to claim their land as their own. We know that these things will surely come. That it is not all going to be easy. That's just the way it is. But, but God has a plan and a future. God looks forward beyond all of those things that we see as just is and holds out to us the vision of, a, of, a, of, a, of his kingdom, which is a kingdom that is defined by justice and peace, a kingdom that is abundant and, and overflowing with good things. But he also, it also is a reminder for us that God continues to be a caring and a sustaining God one who does not curse us or abandon us or leave us alone and in isolation, but who calls us uh, into, into the action of faith to look forward into the world and to seek to fulfill God's plan as best we can, wherever we can. Thanks be to God. Amen.